we're still in the book of John. <laughs> Year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Is this guy ever going to finish this? You know, it's like this never-ending sermon. When does it end? Well, it's got a few more chapters, and we are in the midst of still this upper room discourse that started in chapter 13 of John, where Jesus shares this last meal with his disciples, and then somehow, whether they're still in the room or in the en route to the Garden of Gethsemane, he is doing some of the most fine-tuned teaching to his disciples that you've seen in this gospel uh, to this point. So, <clears throat> before we introduce the title, I'm going to play for you a video in a, just a second, and maybe some of you saw it, and maybe some of you were as upset with it when you saw it as I was. But last week, uh, during a tour boat ride, as this uh, commercial tour boat was trying to park along the riverfront in Montgomery, Alabama, there was another party boat, a, pa a pontoon, a personal boat, parked in their way. And I owned a boat. Those of you who know, I used to live on a boat for a year, which was crazy. Don't recommend it. But uh, in boating world, if you have parked somewhere that you shouldn't have parked, it's not unusual for somebody to just grab the rope and move it to where it needs to be. And uh, the melee, the brawl that broke out, uh, made national news. So here you go. This is like the minute and a half of it. The man who... Uh, will be attacked is a part of that commercial group that does the tour rides. Actually, he's a co-captain. And what you don't know up to this point, the, the captain of that commercial boat has asked the, the group that owned that boat to move it multiple times. And uh, you got it in there? Did it make it? People you hear are on the boat. The young man in the life jacket works for the same company. He's tried to come to help. that got your heart rate up, but it, it got mine, and uh, I wonder, show them the next slide, guys. Don't I have the sign? That's the sign. If you can't read that, it says, no parking between signs reserved for slip and, I think it's slipping uh, something. It's even hard for me to read up close to it, but it's the name of the boat that was trying to park there, and it said, do not park there. So if you saw that sign, would you park there anyway? That's what you say in church, I know. <laughs> Would you curse the man who asked you to move your boat when it was parked illegally, if you will? I don't know if there's illegal boat parking, but it sounds like it. Would you start a fight after he physically touched your boat and started to move it? 
here's the other question. Would you have joined in on the fight, either for him, to help him, or against him? Well, in today's text, we find ourselves, as I said, still in this upper room discourse. Two weeks ago, my title, coming from the scripture, was chosen. That we are chosen by love, and we are chosen to love. And then last week, I used a single title word, hated, because we are hated, Jesus says, because I chose you. Today we read that we will be comforted. And I know after hearing hated and, and chosen, you know, how does this go? I'm not sure that all these texts work in there together. But bear in mind that Jesus in chapter 14 told them, let not your hearts be troubled. You know, you believe in God, believe also in me. He talks about sending the paraclete, the Holy Spirit then. And today, I think we are reminded, especially with these first two verses that connect the text from last week to the text today, that the Holy Spirit is in the fight with us. You're not fighting alone. And as we read these verses, you'll find that the battle has already been won, as we sing many times. And we'll also be convicted as the Holy Spirit convicts each one. Of sin. So if you have your Bibles, let's look for the comfort that Jesus promises us and extends to us through the Spirit. Verse 26. In fact, I could give you verse 25 because then it even makes more of a connection. But this is to fulfill, I'm in chapter 15, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. That poor man getting beat up had to think, why are they hating on me? Verse 26, when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not go astray. Some will say stumble. Some will say fall. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. Holy vengeance in their mind. Verse 3. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. He's giving us a warning. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. And once again, he's warning them because he's going to leave. He's trying to prepare them. Verse 5, now I am going to him who sent me. Who sent him? The Father. God, yeah, I hope you're still awake. I'm now going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask, where are you going? Now, some of you might go, didn't, didn't uh, Thomas say, Lord, we don't know where you're going? Verse, or chapter 14. And didn't Philip say, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough? So it sounds like there's con some conflict, but I think it's just Jesus is reaffirming. Once again, you guys are still not really troubled in thinking about me leaving because he says, no, I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask, where are you going? Because in other words, that's where you're going to be someday. Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. You know, sometimes when you are grief-stricken, you can't hardly think about anything else other than your sorrow. And Jesus is trying to pull them out of that. But I tell you the truth, if you, it's for your own good, it's for your good that I'm going away. 
Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. Holy Spirit won't come unless Jesus goes back to the Father. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. That's a tough sentence to understand, so Jesus explains it this way. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Pray with me, please. Father, as we look at perhaps a familiar text for some, or maybe all have read this and skipped right on across it, as we do so many times when the idea of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the one of the Trinity that we give equal adoration and reverence toward, but yet we often do it in lip service only. Jesus describes some of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit in this text. He'll go on and do more, I know, later in the latter verses, Lord. But for right now, help each one of us to be comforted this, comforted this day because of your Spirit that resides in the life and the soul and the heart of a believer. We ask for your comfort to rain down upon us, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said earlier, verses 26 and 27 connect Jesus' point that the world will hate you. And then I give you this comforting message of the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. And then verses 1 through 4 that I've read today focus on the believer and the world's reaction to the believer. So that's the first section of these 11 or so verses I covered. And then verses 5 through 11 summarize the Holy Spirit's convicting work. So... A little bit of a Greek lesson. I know you guys get tired of this, but the word paraclete, most of us know that word. Uh, we translate it through our different translations we have. Holy Spirit is an easy one. The helper, the advocate, the attorney, the intercessor, the counselor. And today I've used the word comforter for our title. Um, there is a legal sense to the word if you break that word paraclete down, para in Greek is a preposition. It means upon or near or close by. And the last part of that word, kaleo, means to speak out. So the one who is near you speaks out. So that sounds like, in fact, don't we call lawyers sometimes mouthpiece? I'll let my mouthpiece speak for me. Let my attorney represent me. They'll be the spokesman for me. It's like the defense attorney who says... I'll speak up for him. And it's like that Matt Mayer song, Your Love Defends Me. And I thought almost, you know, always at the last second, hey, you should have seen that with Steve. But Steve does a marvelous job, and he picks stuff even, you know, I give him what I'm preaching on the week in advance, and that's about all I give him. And he's like, okay, I'll see where you're going. But in the context of these verses today, I want to give one more title that I've seen it before, so I'm not unique in this. To call the Holy Spirit the champion. The champion. He is a champion because, and there are like two Webster definitions of the word. That's someone who wins an event. That's a champion, you know. And then also a champion is someone who is an advocate for something. I champion this cause. 
So the Holy Spirit being a champion really sets well with me today. He has and will defend or defeat all of our rivals, and he has and will argue our case to the world and to the Father. But to need a defense, you have to have done something wrong first, right? I mean, you hire a defense attorney when you've been accused of something. Maybe you didn't do it. And I know there's no guilty people in this congregation. But <laughs> and unlike prison, you know, uh, one of my favorite movies, Shawshank Redemption, and they're talking about he, the one guy is saying, I'm innocent, and I really didn't do it. And at the meal, they look at each other. We're all innocent in here. In prison, everybody's innocent, right? Same way in church. <laughs> oh, let me stop right there. Do not forget we are all guilty of failing, of sinning, and we all stand in judgment of what God will bring to those who have gone the other way than they should go. In fact, I've said it before, I know it's a song, we're all on cruise control down the highway to hell. We're all on that. Until you repent, and the, the very definition of the word repent is to turn around. Until you turn around on that highway and head back towards the Father. And that only is done through that simple thing that we taught him in vacation Bible school, is admitting that I'm a sinner. That's the ABCs, remember? What's the B for? Believe, yeah, that Jesus is the Lord and Savior. And C, confess him. And until you've done those things, you're still on that highway to hell. So you all stand just like these that Jesus will talk about until you have done that. Jesus reminds his disciples that faith in him, though, will mean persecution. They will kick you out of the temple, he said. Remember chapter 9 when Jesus has healed a blind man? And like the chief priests and leaders of the church or leaders of the synagogue, four different times they interview people. They interview the man twice. They interview his, they interview his parents. They interview Jesus. And the man is kicked out of the temple. And his parents don't want to be kicked out of the temple. And remember, they, they just say, well, all we can say is he was born blind and now he can see. But we're not going to necessarily say that Jesus did it. Because if they'd done that, they wouldn't be able to find a job. If you remember these things from me covering this back in chapter 9, they probably wouldn't have been able to find a job. They wouldn't be able to buy food. They, they probably wouldn't be able to have a place to live unless they owned their home. And even so, they might have been forced to live outside of the walls of Jerusalem. They'd be treated like an outcast. And Jesus says, you're going to be treated like outcasts. But wait, the, the champion, the one sent from the Father, Jesus says, because of his truth, I want you to keep from stumbling. Look at verse 1, chapter 16. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. That is that Greek word scandalos, which we get the English word scandal, that which causes a major Failure, you know, whether it's from some moral or ethical issue that someone has a scandal. Jesus says, I don't want you to trip. I don't want you to fall because the champion will hold your hand. I always pick on my mother and sister when they set so close. You know, if you start setting, oh, you guys are pretty close. I could pick on, oh, Steve, you're really close. But uh, I usually hold my mom's hand when I'm getting in and out of the car. Doesn't really think she needs it, but I'm there to help her. And that's what. The comforter is there for you, to help you along the way, to pick you up when you have fallen, to hold you back when you're going in the wrong direction, to push you when you won't go, and to lift you up when you're down. 
Jesus goes on to say, not only will they kick you out, they will try to kill you. And even think that they're serving God while they do it. Remember chapter 12 of this book, when Lazarus has been brought back from the dead, they plan ways, those religious leaders of the day, plan a way to kill not only Lazarus, but also to kill Jesus. And if you're familiar at all with Paul, in Galatians, the first chapter, he talks about how zealous he was in going after Christians. Those of you who know the story of Saul before we call him Paul, he made his name being one who would carry off those who would believe in Jesus and perhaps even kill. Jesus is warning them of the future and I believe warning us too of the future in which we live, the days we should live now. Uh, during my Air Force time, I got to spend one year in Boston. That's where I went to Boston University. I thought I saw the Boston connection there. Was, I saw you once and I just knew it was that side. Uh, I also went, uh, that was a great thing, uh, BU, Boston University, has a consortium. So you can go to any seminary in the Boston area, area that's participating. So uh, those of you who probably heard me say, I took one class at Harvard. Got a B in it. Um, but I took a lot of courses at Gordon-Conwell. Gordon-Conwell Seminary is a very conservative school, um, a little closer to where we were living. And Gordon-Conwell hosts the study for global Christianity. And where I'm going with this is that, you know, there are different agencies that track, there's the Voice of the Martyrs, there are other places that track the number of people killed every year because of their faith in Jesus. And Gordon-Conwell, uh, I really uh, like that, or that seminary and university. And here are some of the numbers that they, they record, and I, I really think these are fairly accurate, as, as, you can, as well as you can get these days, that in the first decade of this century, before 2000 to two, between 2000 and 2010, 1.6 million Christians were martyred around the world. Now, it has declined steeply since then. From 2010 to 2020, it went to 800,000. But last year, they tracked 5,000 Christians killed around the globe. So we're on track for this decade, if you stay at that, for about a half a million to be killed because of their faith in Jesus. So this fight is as real today as it was for that man on that dock in Montgomery. And remember why that fight broke out on that video. Because he pointed out they're wrong. And I'm not saying, because last week we talked, I think the past two weeks we've been talking about love and hate and, and not pointing out with hatred of what the wrong is, but being true to what the gospel tells us to do. He pointed out they're wrong, and that there becomes our entryway to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Fighting and being a champion. Now, let me pause, you know, I've got to have a nice sermon illustration at some point, right? Because some of you are already asleep. No, okay. Leighton Ford. You ever heard the name Leighton Ford? Brother-in-law to Billy Graham. He's still alive, uh, Leighton is, and a Canadian uh, evangelist and founder of, I think, Leighton Ministries. He preached with Billy Graham. And I was talking to Dennis in my office and Dan, and I, I always am afraid because as I get older and I say Billy Graham and those under 30 go, Billy who? 
like saying Billy Sunday to the generation before mine, you know, perhaps, or my generation growing up. I wouldn't have known who that was, probably either. But uh, Leighton had the opportunity. Here's another name that you're going to go, wow, he's really bringing out the old ones. Leighton had an opportunity to witness to Muhammad Ali once. And I grew up following Muhammad Ali. I remember one of his ladder fights. I'm in college. And I don't think I cried, but I was sad that he got beat. Some of you, oh, I'm glad he got beat. Man, change his name. You know, that, there's that hater part of you coming out. Easy on that, you know, throttle back. But he got beat. How many know how many times he got beat? Because I was a, a, kind of a student of Muhammad. Five times. He got beat five times. Uh, Frazier. Anybody else? Frazier's the first. No, Ken Norton, actually, I think is the first one to beat him. Frazier. Holmes. Kenny Holmes. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I'll just stop. Foreman did not beat him, no. Uh, the guy who I, I saw, I think that's the one I saw in college, was Leon Spinks, man. How did he beat him? But in any event, I say all that to say, even when they stripped him of his title, they called him champ. So when Leighton gets to speak to him, in fact, he was trying to get near him, and somebody said, this is Billy Graham's brother-in-law. Ali heard that and immediately said, hey, Billy, 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 I love Billy. Come on, bring Billy in. And, you know, if you grew up watching any of Ali, so fast, so articulate, I mean, so handsome, as he would say, you know, all those kind of things. Raised the Baptist converted to Islam. And Leighton says, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about faith. You know, I'm Billy Graham's brother-in-law. I'm a preacher as well. And Muhammad said, yeah, fine. He said, you know, in fact, Muhammad, I'm quoting Muhammad. He said, not the Muhammad. I'm quoting Muhammad Ali. Somebody's going to there's a Baptist preacher quoting Muhammad. No. Um, he said, Ali said something to the fact that whether it's an ocean, a lake, a pond, a river, or a stream, it's all water, right? And he said, all religion is like that. And I'm okay with, you know, you being a Christian and me being a Muslim. And Leighton said, no, hang on. I'll concede that it's all water. I got that, you know, whether it's ocean water or fresh water. And that's when he said, what about contaminated water? You know, what kind of water do you want to drink? It takes a purifier to change the water. And Jesus is the purifier. And Ali said, wow, I like that. And in Leighton's writings, that's where I pulled this story from, he said that was 30 years ago at the time when he was writing. He said, don't know if it ever changed, but Ali said, I'll have to think on that for a while. Well, hopefully it convicted him of our champion. And that's our second and final point. We, see more, we will see more attributes of the Holy Spirit in next week's text um, when I pick up at verse 12 next week. But Right now, Jesus tells his disciples, I must go so that he can come for you. It's for your own good. In fact, I almost titled the points on this, it's for your own good and it's going to hurt. You know, it's like what your parents say, I'm paddling you for your own No, it's not. This shot, it's going to hurt, but it's for your own good. He's saying, no, if I don't leave, there'll be no spirit here. And, and if, I, if I don't come back from the grave, I mean, if you think that through logically, if I don't come back, there'll be no salvation, there'll be no redemption. If I don't go back to the Father and ask the Father to send the spirit, then that'll happen for you. So it's for your own good that I leave you at this point. And he's trying to prepare them. So today we look at what he says the Holy Spirit will do, what our champion will do. He will convict. Have you ever been under conviction? That's an old school Baptist 
phrase. He must be under conviction. See that guy sweating, you know, earlobe to earlobe, and or you see the person gripping the pew like during a revival. That person's under conviction. The Holy Spirit is talking to them. And there is truth in that. I mean, absolutely. I, 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 in fact, I tease people if they say it's too hot in here. It's a little, it is a little hot for me. Maybe I'm under conviction this morning. But, you know, we, we'll use that phrase in church just jokingly. But think back. I think it's in 2 Samuel, and I'm not going to have you turn there, but David and Bathsheba. He's the guy that has the pick of any girl he wants, and he ends up picking a married woman has a relation with her, has a child with her, and has all these problems because of that uh, infidelity, that breaking of God's uh, plan for him. And eventually, God sends who? Close. Nathan. Yep, yep. Sends Nathan to come and convict him. (laughs) Well, actually, he tells him a story. Remember? Remember he tells him a story about a man who had this sheep, that he loved his sheep. He kept That was like his baby. That was his baby. And he took care of that sheep. And I mean, you can embellish this all you want. But a, but a rich man came and took that poor man's lamb and killed it for his dinner or to serve some people. And, and you know, David hears that. And, man, he goes ballistic. Who is that man? And Nathan looks at him and says, you're the man. And sometimes... The Holy Spirit is that which clearly points out to you and convicts you of your sin. So let's look at these. I think I have a little slide for you. That one verse, he talks about the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin because there are people who will not believe. There are some people who don't believe they need to ever confess and repent of anything. You know, the Lord, God is not even out there. And if he did make me, he made me to have fun. So I'm not going to ever confess Well, you need the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin. Conviction of righteousness. Now, that's a little complicated. And the word convict in our English language can mean a couple of things. You know, convict convict is something like when you're guilty of something. But you can be convicted. And, in fact, you are so certain of something that you have a conviction about it. It's not a pressure. It's an understanding. It's a belief. So I want to play on that word because I think that's the easiest way for me to understand these two different things that the Holy Spirit does. If you understand who Jesus is, you have a conviction of his righteousness, that he left us here and ascended back to the Father. And that's powerful to know that your Savior sits at the Father's right hand, ready to go. He and the Father are one. And also, that judgment that comes from the Father, I have a conviction that Christ has already won the battle and that Satan, no matter what he does to me in this world or in this life, is condemned because of what Christ has done. That is our conviction. Now, I like that. Yeah, some of my sermons, I hear <laughs> Francis Chan. You know Francis Chan? We've used him on some of our Wednesday night Bible studies. A powerful Bible teacher, preacher out of California. And he wrote in a leadership quarterly that I picked up this, this week about his teenage daughter. He said, my wife and I prayed and prayed. She had been raised in church and she'd made a decision, but he said, I just really felt like it wasn't genuine. And uh, he said, I prayed and I prayed. He said, we cried and we cried. And we just watched her behavior that uh, she didn't live and didn't conduct herself and didn't seem to have the attributes of a believer in Christ Jesus. 
And he said, I prayed, God, either your spirit comes into her or your spirit doesn't. Because it doesn't matter how great a dad I am, I cannot bring her to life. Only you can do that. He said, one day she came into my room and said, Dad, you're right. The Holy Spirit, his presence in my life, my, my belief in Jesus was not where it has to be. Mine was more a head knowledge than a heart knowledge. But now he's there. And he said, my wife and I, you know, as all parents do, first you challenge them to believe, is it, you're going to challenge that this really happened. He said, at that writing, he said, it's been a year and a half since then, and she has continued to walk with the Savior. So today I say unto you, let the Holy Spirit comfort you, let him be your champion, and let him convict you if need be, and also as he convicts the world to bring others to Christ Jesus. If you're here today that you have never confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would pray that you would do that 180, that you would turn around right now and quit walking with the devil hand in hand on that highway to hell, but drop him off, turn back around, and come and profess your faith in Jesus. Would you stand with me as we pray? Our Lord, as we come now to a time of invitation in this service, I'm sure there's someone here today that felt like this sermon was not for them. Then convict them, Lord, of their sin. For this message was for each and every one here. For those of us who are believers, we need to live with a stronger testimony. Jesus says, you will testify to the truth that is within you. Father, I pray that our testimonies would be truthful unto you. If there's someone here, Lord, who just needs to come to these steps and pray, we have prayer warriors who will do that. But Lord, perhaps there's somebody here who wants to come and say, I want to believe in Jesus. I've had a head knowledge, but without a heart knowledge of him. And I see these two young people who were baptized today, and I need to follow their example. I need to bury the past life of my sin and my wickedness and walk with Jesus. Oh, yeah, we'll stumble. Jesus says, I've got somebody here to help you. And the Holy Spirit will take us by the hand. He'll guide us. He'll pick us up. He'll push us. He'll pull us when need be. And, Lord, he will be our champion. So, Father, whatever decision there is to make, maybe somebody needs to come and rededicate their life. You know, they, they know who Jesus is, but they just haven't lived for him. Whatever decision, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in a mighty way, kind of a scary way for some of us, because some of us, we're so geared the way church works, we're ready to go eat. We've already detached ourselves from the power that happens when brothers and sisters in the faith get together. Speak to us now in this invitation, for I ask it in Jesus' name.